make sure it's your life that you're living. Mm. Don't live somebody else's life. Mm. Live your life. Um, uh, live, li- um, and that doesn't mean, you know, be a hedonist and just go out and have fun. But it means to make sure that you're that you're doing the things that the 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 that the, the happinesses that you're experiencing are your happinesses mm-hmm. and not someone else's. I see myself as um, as a steward. Mm-hmm. I'm stewarding the school's archives. Mm-hmm. These aren't my. This is my stuff. Mm-hmm. This these are the vital records of the institution, and it's really important that I leave things in a kind of condition mm-hmm. that the next person who comes along. Um, is going to be able to pick up where I left off, mm-hmm. and 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 continue to to make things more and more available. I mean, here's a guy who's who appears to have it all, filled with existential angst. He doesn't know what to do with his life. Mm. Um, he's looking for purpose. He's looking for meaning, um, and there are times when he looks too hard for it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other times when he's not looking for it mm-hmm. at all, but he's so distracted by other things that he's not possibly going to find it. Mm-hmm. But if you find some kind of place in the middle mm-hmm. where you're not running around dancing and when you're not really trying hard to find it, it will find you. Hello and welcome back to the Bigger Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Chan and Zhao. And today I am very lucky to be joined with 24-year archivist, 18-year advisor for Debate Society, and also the host of the WNRH show from the archives, Mr. Weiss. How are you doing? I'm just great, Chan, and it's great to be here. <laughs> yeah, I'm really grateful to have you too. Um, do you want to introduce yourself a little more? Or do we, did I cover most of your... Well, the, the, the one thing that I like to, to add is that... Um, I came to the school in the fall of 1962 in the back seat of my father's GMC Suburban when he came here to teach oh, wow. mathematics. So okay. I grew up at the school, and mm-hmm. I am a graduate of the class of 1978, uh, okay. one of just a handful of classes to win the rope pull twice, I like to remind people. <laughs> and um, so I've I've been associated with the school for a long time and I, I did go away and I, yeah. I went to college and I went to graduate school, but I've been back here for, as you said, since 1999. So you've been here for almost all your life or most part of your life? Yeah, a big, a big part a big, of my big life. Chunk. And, and even when I was not a, a, either a student here or growing up here or working here, I, I always had an, some kind of association with the, with the school. Interesting. So let's start us off with uh, what you do here. Um, well, so what's your main job here at NMH? My, my main job is uh, archivist of the school. Okay. And what it means to be an archivist, I'm in charge of the historical records of the institution. And okay. um, the classic definition of an archivist is um, a person who uh, collects, uh, arranges, describes, um, makes available, mm-hmm. uh, preserves records of enduring value to an institution. Mm-hmm. So what is a record of enduring value? That's mm-hmm. in a certain way when, when I make decisions about appraisal, that is to say what we're going to keep and what we're going to throw away, mm-hmm. I'm deciding what's, um, what is of enduring value and, mm-hmm. and what will best preserve and continue to present our history. Speaking of documents, what types of documents are you do you usually look at, or, or do you imagine manage? So mostly, the, the most important um, records that that I maintain, and the ones that are are um, were there have been there for the longest are are pieces of paper. Mm-hmm. So that's everything from from student files to. Mm-hmm. Uh, minutes of faculty meetings, minutes of of the board of trustees, mm. and and then images, image 
Um, so mm-hmm. that's, uh, and again, mostly mostly paper, but um, or printed on paper, mm-hmm. um, gelatin, silver print images, albumin prints, mm-hmm. um, and then transparency. So things that you would project uh, colors. Uh, people who would who are not in the business would call them slides, color slides, but. Mm-hmm. We talk about transparencies. Um, we have glass plate negatives. Mm-hmm. We have lantern slides, which are essentially the glass uh, precursor to um, to acetate transparencies. Mm-hmm. And and then we have digital versions of a lot of that. So, for mm-hmm. example, uh, the school newspaper, which was originally called the Hermonite, and then mm-hmm. became the Bridge. Mm. And then there have been some offshoots of that. There was a paper at Northfield called the Northfield Star. Mm. And so we have... Never heard of those before. We have bound volumes of those um, periodicals, and we've been digitizing mm. them so that those are available online. And we don't yet have a way of of making them available to everybody inside or outside the school yet, mm-hmm. but they are available um to certain people who who need to see them and who ask to see them. Mm. So why did you become an archivist in the first place? Well, uh, I would say that uh, when I was a uh, I was an undergraduate and I I went to a, to a liberal arts college, okay, um, called St. John's, and I read great books. But um, as soon as I was I was done there. Mm-hmm. It did. A, I mean, I've always been interested in history, intrigued by history. Mm-hmm. But then the bottom line is, how do you write history? How do you do history? How do you be an historian? Mm-hmm. And the answer is that you can't be an historian unless you have documents to look at, to read, to examine, to mm-hmm. ask questions of. And I also like to make order out of chaos. That's one of the things that I do. The heart of my job really is putting things away so that the next person can find them Mm -hmm. and get them out for the next researcher. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to arrange things in such a way that they can be found easily by the next person. That means creating indexes. Mm -hmm. That means... um, having things arranged physically in a way that they can be found. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're going to digitize things to have a, a taxonomic structure mm-hmm. uh, that underlies things, that makes it possible for the next person to find whatever it is that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So my own, my own interest in, in neatness mm-hmm. and um, combined with my interest in history mm-hmm. made archives the <laughs> road to go down. That's true. Yeah, that's very interesting to hear. So speaking of ordering the chaos, there's definitely a lot of um, documents that you go go through every single day. So on an average day, how, how many documents do you think you go through? And how many documents do you think you have organized over over the years? I mean, that's a very... Oh, that's that's, that's, that's a very a, large number. <laughs> that's a, that's an almost impossible uh, <laughs> question to answer. But I, I, um, most of my uh, queries now come through email, mm-hmm. so I can track how many questions I get by kind of counting up how many emails I've gotten, and um, most much of my answers now I can I can get by looking at what we have digitized. So mm-hmm. our our collection of images, for example, which started off when I when I first started working at the school in you know, 24 years ago, I would say that there were somewhere around 70 or 80,000 images in the collection. 78, and wow. So but mm-hmm. but they're all paper. Mm-hmm. And and within a year or two of when I started working at the school, mm-hmm. everything went digital. Mm. And so we went from seventy or 80,000 images. We probably get 15,000 images, new mm-hmm. images every year. Maybe it's more than that. Mm-hmm. But I have access to all of these digital images. And mm. many of them don't have very good file names. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of metadata attached to those images necessarily, so mm-hmm. 
if I'm looking for a picture, say, of me, mm-hmm. there are a lot of pictures of me as an usher at various school events or in my office. There was a picture of the day they did the picture of the archivist, I don't know, in 2003 or 2004. Mm-hmm. And not all of those pictures have... Um, the information attached to them that make it easy to find. Mm-hmm. And so we have paper files that are arranged, say, um, in the, our buildings and grounds collection that are arranged by building. So if mm-hmm. I want to go and look for pictures of the chapel, I go to a box that says Memorial Chapel, and mm-hmm. I pull out that box, and I look in the box, and there are interiors and exteriors, mm-hmm. and they're sorted by date. Um, sometimes we know the exact date. Sometimes we can just make a guess, Mm -hmm. and it's really easy to find what we have. Mm -hmm. But if I then wanted to look for images of the chapel that were taken in 2005, say in the winter, because you get some beautiful picture of the chapel on a nice winter day, Mm -hmm. um, how do I find those? Mm -hmm. And finding every one of those is the, the tricky part. Because, And then the other thing is, let's imagine that Let's imagine that in round numbers that over the course of the last 20 years, mm-hmm. um, we have 300,000 new images, mm-hmm. 15,000 a year times, times 20 yeah. years. Okay. So um, do we need 30,000 images? How helpful are 30,000 images going to be? Mm-hmm. How many images of, of a sporting event do we need? Well... Mm-hmm. If if um, if you're if you were a let's imagine that you're a swimmer, mm-hmm. and there are pictures of swim meets, and you want to see a picture of yourself, mm-hmm. well, that might not be a really great picture, but it might be the only picture we have of mm-hmm. some person yeah. at a swim meet. So, deciding what we're going to keep and what we're not going to keep, well, we might just want to keep the best pictures. Mm-hmm. Then we might want to keep pictures to make sure we have a range, like everybody who did some particular thing, that we had a picture of them. Mm-hmm. Well, we better have metadata attached to those images in such a way that we can find exactly what we want without still sorting through hundreds, potentially hundreds of pictures. Mm-hmm. So, and we don't, have, we don't have metadata attached to all of these images, and someone's yeah. got to do that. Mm. That's a massive job. That's not, yeah. and ultimately, um, is, that, great is that all all your job, or it's sort of spread out? Well, it's it's theoretically all my job. If I if I had a if 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 I have a work job student, if the work job student can't identify certain um, important descriptive factors in a photograph, then that workshop student isn't going to be much help. Yeah. So it's there's a lot of there's a lot of metadata that you would like to attach to an image, like who's in it. Mm-hmm. If we have a if we have a picture and we have a caption for the picture and it lists the names of the people and it tells us what the building is, mm-hmm. that's really useful. Mm-hmm. But if we just have a snapshot, let's say we have a snapshot from 1920. Mm. And it's and it's um, it's it's Jimmy and Susie, mm-hmm. and they're standing. Um, maybe they're standing um, outside a building, mm-hmm. but if we don't know who Jimmy and Susie are, mm-hmm. it's not very helpful. Mm-hmm. It might be a nice picture. Mm-hmm. So so in terms of having um, images that are going to be valuable, mm-hmm. um, we need to we need to be able to say as much about them as we can, mm-hmm. uh, while the people are alive who can say something about what that is. Mm, interesting. So you're not only organizing um, past documents, you're also organizing current documents so that future people can look back and use it. Exactly. Do you? So right now, most of your organization, are they all online, or do you still prefer paper organ Paper... Well, that, that's a great, I mean, for things that are coming across, for th- things that we get now, it's all digital. 
it doesn't matter what I like. <laughs> it it matters that everything that 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 is being created now is being created in a digital format. Okay. Um, I will say that for something like uh, a curriculum guide, mm-hmm. so we have curriculum guides going back to the very beginnings of the school. We have we have descriptions of the curriculum from the 1880s, mm-hmm. and these are great. They, they tell us a lot about what what was going on at the school. They tell us what courses were important. Mm-hmm. There's a period between about 1900 and 1925 mm-hmm. at Mount Hermon when they were offering courses in dairying and mm-hmm. animal husbandry and growing fruits and vegetables because mm-hmm. there was an agricultural department the same way there's an English department mm-hmm. at the school. Um, and that's fascinating um, especially with the with the way the farm is um, assuming a renewed importance at the school. So, but to get back to curriculum guides, today the curriculum guide is pretty much only produced digitally. Mm-hmm. That's its that's the platform it comes to students mm-hmm. on when they're trying to pick their classes for next year. Mm-hmm. But I always print out it's a PDF. Mm-hmm. And I'll print out three or four of them mm-hmm. so that we have a printed curriculum guide because who knows what happens in five years to that digital version of the curriculum guide. When they create a new curriculum guide for, let's say, for twenty three, twenty four, that mm-hmm. one's getting ready to come out. When that curriculum guide um, sort of is published, mm-hmm. are they writing over the 22-23 curriculum guide. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's, a, if it's, if it's a, the right kind of document, I can go back and look at its history. If, if, if it's a PDF only, um, it's not going to have that same kind of document history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to lose what the 22-23 curriculum guide is as soon as the 23-24 curriculum guide comes out, mm-hmm. unless I take steps to preserve it. Mm. So I so I've I've got a I've got a digital res- repository, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I have under academic life is a c- collection of curriculum guides, mm. and so I'll have a PDF of the curriculum guides since we started making digital ones, and then I'll have a a set of print version because the the print is ultimately more stable. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, we don't know how stable a PDF is. Mm-hmm. We don't know what a PDF what is going to what's going to be the the state of that PDF in a hundred years. Are, are we going to be able to open it? Mm-hmm. Um, is the is the it, it, we're probably going to have the the software to open it, but is that particular PDF going to be in a stable enough format that it's going to I'm uh, going to get a message saying this document has been corrupted and cannot be opened. I so, can't you, so you print out a uh, printed version? Yeah, so we have printed, uh, so I keep a printed version because mm. that's the only, that's the sure way of, of knowing that in a hundred years someone is going to be able to look at the curriculum guide for right now. I mean, speaking of, um, we talked a lot about um, the archives and the specifics of what is in the archives. It must take a lot of organizational skill to manage all these, all these documents, and uh, like you said, three hundred thousand images plus the documents plus um, historical archives. There's definitely a lot of things. Do you think organizational skill was something that you always had, or it's something that you developed or over time? Um, I would say I probably developed it. But it's it's interesting. When I was young, like mm-hmm. my room was not clean, mm-hmm. um, and I would say that now I'm much more interested in having things well arranged in my house so that I can find things. Mm-hmm. So it it uh, I would say that 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 grew and developed. Mm-hmm. But I would also say that that since I started working at the school, when I came in, the archives were arranged in a particular way, um, there was a large collection of material that was essentially called student life. Mm-hmm. And I've 
th- that conception has changed over the last 25 years in terms of the way I think of the collections at the school should be organized. So, so instead of having virtually everything be in student life, so Thanksgiving as a holiday was in student life, and the pie race was in student life, and Sacred Concert was in student life, and mm-hmm. Commencement was in student life. Mm-hmm. And to me, well, Commencement's actually part of academic life, which is a little different than student life. Mm-hmm. And when I think about about student life, I could think about the important traditions. So mm-hmm. that would be like the pie race and Mountain Day. Mm-hmm. But but then we have this we have this great tradition of music mm-hmm. and and other performing arts at the school and so then I think well the performing arts is kind of part of student life it's all in a funny way it it partakes of academic life because there are now academic classes mm-hmm. in theater for example mm-hmm. and in music and we didn't used to have that mm-hmm. but. I kind of have to make a decision, like, well, wh- where's this going to be? Wh- mm-hmm. Where does this sit in a in an organizational chart? And I say, okay, this is performing arts, and performing arts we're going to call part of student life as opposed to academic life. Mm-hmm. Then we have clubs and societies, so so you have like debate. Where does debate live? Mm-hmm. Well, that's part of student life, mm-hmm. but it's it's also somewhat it's it's different enough from Mountain Day which is a tradition, and different enough from sacred concert, that's performing arts, that it's clubs and societies then get their own little world that's under this other umbrella of student life. So you build this whole structure of organization, and it's changed over the last um, 20 years since it's just gotten a little bit more refined a year goes by and I think, oh, actually, we could do it this way. And at this point, we're now working with um, some software called Archive Space, and then there's another sort of fancier um, um, software called Preservica mm-hmm. um, that allows you to take your digital assets mm-hmm. and and create um, um, finding aids that will allow you to sort individual pieces of you know what what are either going to be paper or they could be digital assets you could have a digital you could have a a sacred concert program but you could also have a digital version of it Mm -hmm. and then ultimately what you want is is then a a software that will take the digital assets the sacred concerts that set of sacred let's say you had all your sacred concert programs digitized and we don't have a complete set, but we have we have the first sacred concert program from 1895, and we have a sacred concert program from 2022. And if we could have all of those available digitally and have them all searchable from a web browser, that's what we really want to get to. But we're a long way from that. Mm. Yeah. But that's but that's what I've begun to work on at this point, and I, and I, I have to I see myself as um, as a steward. Mm-hmm. I'm stewarding the school's archives. Mm-hmm. These aren't my. This is my stuff. Mm-hmm. This these are the vital records of the institution, and it's really important that I leave things in a kind of condition. Mm-hmm. That the next person who comes along um, is going to be able to pick up where I left off mm-hmm. and 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 continue to to make things more and more available. Yeah, and definitely, and and I mean, continue on this point of organizing and develop having this organizational skill. Do you have any suggestions or advices for us who are still? us young people who may be pretty disorganized um, by by nature, how, how can we sort of develop organizational skills? W- not only with, um, you know, documents, but, but 
with other things in general, like organizing your house? And well, so that's a great question. I mean, when I think about about what what I think would be really useful to the average Northfield Mount Hermon School student, one is like creating filters for your email mm. so that your email, you have a whole bunch of subfolders so that the email that comes to you, you see. The email that goes to student announcements goes into a student announcements folder before mm-hmm. it even get, it never even gets to your inbox. Mm-hmm. It goes into a folder, and you pay attention to that folder. But then the, the less email that comes directly to your inbox, the, the easier it's going to be for you to stay on top of the messages that come from Mr. Weiss saying, mm-hmm. um, we have a debate tournament coming up, and I really want you to get back to me about mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that way you're not being overwhelmed by email. Mm-hmm. And you've also, you also have a, 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 a way of sorting things into, into, into maybe email that you're not going to keep forever, mm-hmm. and maybe email that's important for some length of time, and then mm-hmm. it's no longer important. And then a handful of emails that you might get from friends that are really important. And I realize that students today don't mm-hmm. use email all that much yeah, between one another. Yeah. But but if you did, you'd have this you'd have this thing. And and the other thing that I would say is um, be be aware that, that there are that there are pieces of paper that that you that you're gonna get during the course of your time at Northfield Mount Herman that you might think are important one day. Mm-hmm. So if you go to your matriculation ceremony when you're a, when you're a new student here mm. and you've got a piece of, there was a, a, a program for that event, mm. you might want to keep that. You don't get very much paper these days, but you could, create a, you could create a little binder and you could put things. I mean, people used to keep scrapbooks all the time. Mm. People don't do that anymore, and in part because there's not so much paper. Yeah. But but imagine in in that you come back in for your 10th reunion and you have all your sacred concert programs or you have you have a, you have your vespers programs or you have your even having your commencement program. Mm-hmm. I mean there are a lot of people who threw that stuff out. They didn't bother to keep it. And so thinking about what you might want to keep um before you make the hasty decision to throw it away, is um, that's worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, do you have any specific suggestions on how we sort of how we could um, organize other other things that are not documents too? Because uh, their organization is sort of like a big thing that I think a lot of people do struggle with. Right. Well, I mean, you know, one thing. So you've got you've got this thing called you've got a you've got Google Drive, right? And mm-hmm. you've got, and maybe that's where your papers are. I don't know. I don't know how how students how students create their the work that they do these days because mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have a lot of conversations with them about this. But I think that having a folder for your Hume. Two class having a folder for your a push class having a folder for your ap economics class mm-hmm. and and just setting up those kinds of folders and and then you say you can have a folder for fall term of your senior year have a folder for spring term of your ninth grade year if you save if you save your papers that way and sort them ahead of time so that then you're not like, and it's true, you can often like find things with a keyword, mm-hmm. but it's sort of nice to have things arranged chronologically, topically. Mm-hmm. I, I still have, I mean, I still have folders. Um, I used to have all my homework from when I was a Northfield Mount Hermon student. And when I had been out of Northfield Mount Hermon for about, six or eight years, I finally threw away like all my math papers. Like I saved all my math homework. Like that, that's nuts. <laughs> but, um, 
But I still have all of the papers that I wrote for all my English classes. I still have all my history papers that I wrote mm. when I was a student here. Just I saved them, mm. and I and I and they're all sorted by they're sorted by what class I was in. Okay, I have my papers for for um, my ancient epic class. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, let's sort of shift gears a little bit. So you are the advisor for Debate Society. Right. Um, and you've been doing that for 18 years or so. Yeah, it's really that. hard for me to believe that it's, been, <laughs> that it's been that long, but something like that. Why did you start to, to advise for Debate Society? Did you have a passion for debate yourself? Or? No, actually, I, I didn't. Um, uh, I, I did not debate. We, actually, we, there was no Debate Society at Northfield Mount Hermon when I was a student here. Mm-hmm. Um, but the woman who was uh, dean of faculty in the fall of um, 2000, well, actually in the spring of 2005, said, I need somebody to be an assistant coach for debate. Are you willing to do it? Mm. And so if, if you're asked to do something, mm-hmm. you, you pretty much, you know, I'm an agreeable person. Mm-hmm. So I said, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I was the assistant coach for one year, and then a um, guy who was kind of a legend at the school, Jim Block, was the was the head coach of debate, mm-hmm. and he got moved over to the newspaper mm-hmm. in the in the at the end of the o five o six academic year. So in the fall of o six, mm-hmm. suddenly I was the head coach of the debate society. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know. I didn't. I I, I still you know it's funny. I I um. I know a handful of things about debate, mm-hmm. um, but mostly, m- sort of, my vision for the debate society has always been that this is a student society, and the students ought to own it and run it. And I mm-hmm. can help with a handful of things. I can talk about solvency and inherency and certain um, you know, terms of debate jargon, and I can talk about analyzing a topic and thinking about what are the implications of a particular resolution and um, encourage my students to do the same. But it's really, it's, it's really about what a student wants to learn mm-hmm. more than anything that I can teach. I, can, I, can, I try to put um, the mechanisms in place so that a student can succeed I really think that it's 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 up to the students to to own it, um, to teach one another, to help one another, mm-hmm. and I'm there as much as possible to just create an atmosphere where the, the students can facilitate learning from one another. Mm-hmm. And you are just there, sort of, to make make the, make sure the things are rolling, but. You let the students do the teaching mostly, mostly like previous yeah. te- uh, students, and then let, let this sort of culture pass on. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's um it's generally successful. It's not entirely successful, and of course, it's not for everybody. That's 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 one of the things that is that's too bad because I think that there are some people who would thrive on more direct instruction from. A grown-up, yeah, who is who is uh, maybe going to offer a clearer or more succinct lesson plan, mm-hmm. but uh, I also feel that that um, for the students who really, really, who really want to learn debate, mm-hmm. there are, there are a lot of things out there that are going to teach them uh, about certain aspects of debate um, better than I can do it. I mean, the online resources are just tremendous for, for learning how to do anything these days. And so... What types of resources are you referring to? Are you referring to, like, books or... Well, um... Uh, videos. Videos. You can, you can watch people in action. You can watch um, uh, um, really good debaters sort of going at it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can... You can, you can watch uh, world championship um, speeches being delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are, there are handbooks and, and guidebooks and things that are 
essentially print things that are available through PDF, but that you can get online. Mm-hmm. So, like handbooks, mm-hmm. and and it's true that I that there are certain things that I can offer, and I and I do, and there are certain bits of guidance. So if I if I if I if I'm watching a debate taking place in a classroom, I can point out where somebody could have done better mm-hmm. or could have done something differently that would have been worthwhile. Uh, and I do that, but I also, I also work really hard on keeping my mouth shut, mm. which sometimes can be really hard for me. <laughs> I can probably sense that sometimes. Um, so do you read a lot yourself or? Uh, I don't read as much as I'd like to. And I read, um, I read a lot of fiction Mm-hmm. I read a lot of um, 19th and early 20th century novels, mm-hmm. um, uh, like classics like mm-hmm. Charles Dickens and Anthony mm-hmm. Trollope and John Galsworthy, mm-hmm. um, and and I try to I try to read some you know new things now mm-hmm. and then, and I try to read a little bit of. Uh, you know, I read I read uh, I read the New York Times online, um, uh, but I would say that most of my reading is is eighteenth, uh, nineteenth, twentieth century fiction, and I'll reread the same book over and over again. <laughs> I I I believe that a, if a book is worth reading, it's worth reading more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, if 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 I read a book. And I don't think I really need to read that again because mm-hmm. that was really that really had something to say to me. Okay, I wanna I wanna I wanna read the same. So I I, I th- there are certain books that I read over and over and over again, <laughs> like War and Peace. War yeah. and, I've, I've probably read War and Peace more times than any other book that I've read. And um, I was actually having a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. um, over the weekend about this. And I think I've probably read War and Peace about 15 times. 15 times. What did you um, get from War and Peace, or what did you learn from War and Peace? What, what do I, oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I, I, get a, I get a sense of, of what um, right behavior looks like, and I get a sense, if you, the, the character Pierre, who, I mean, he's the protagonist. I mean, here's a guy who's, who appears to have it all, um, and yet, who's um, deeply confused? Um, he's f- filled with existential angst. Although um, Tolstoy wouldn't have called it that. What does that mean, existential angst? Um, he's um, he doesn't know what to do with his life. Mm. Um, he's looking for purpose. He's looking for meaning. Um, and there are times when he looks too hard for it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other times when he's not looking for it mm-hmm. at all, but he's so distracted by other things that he's not possibly going to find it. Mm-hmm. And there's this, there's a moment in the book when he, when he finally um, figures out what he needs to be doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I wrote a paper about this when I was in mm-hmm. college, actually, because it was so, mm-hmm. it was so. Um, it was so important to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is now um, forty years ago, mm-hmm. but but um, but but I liken it to falling asleep. Like if you try really hard to fall asleep, you can't. You're not going to fall asleep. Yeah. And if you get up and you're running around and dancing, you're not going to fall asleep either. Mm-hmm. But if you find some kind of place in the middle where mm-hmm. you're not running around dancing and when you're not really trying hard to find it it will find you mm-hmm. so i so i wrote this i wrote this paper um about about that getting to that place which i called rather too poetically mm-hmm. i called it oh lord i cannot but do thy will only help me find my work mm-hmm. and it's a so um so that, so that that was really meaningful to me, and and um, I found it necessary to to read War and Peace, you know, almost you know every other year 
for mm. a, for a bunch of years, um, and I haven't read it lately. Mm. I kind of need to go back to it, and mm. I understand. Well, there's a new, and by new, I mean it probably came out in two thousand five. But there's a rel- <laughs> there's a relatively recent um, translation of it that that Jesus. supplants this other translation that I read, and they're actually uh, the. So th- there are all these different translations that you can read, and I've mm-hmm. read I've read a bunch of them, and I can tell you I can tell you two that I really liked, and then there's this new one who's who's the translator is I can't remember his name right now, mm-hmm. um, but I just saw it and I haven't ordered it online, but that's that's probably going to be the next thing that I read. <laughs> I'm going to read War and Peace again. Where is War and Peace originally written? So the... it's it's Russian. It's, it's Russian. Uh, so um, Leo Tolstoy. I think it came out in. 1864, maybe, or 68. Speaking of that medium place um, uh-huh. the, of not trying so hard, but also um, sort of, but also letting it be in a sense, mm-hmm. how, what do you think that that place represents? And how, why do you like that place so much? Or why, why was this such an inspiration for you? Did you find your purpose with this book? Or... Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. So when I, when I, I, um, it took me a while to get through college. I didn't, I was not, I was not a stellar student when Mm -hmm. I was at Northfield, Mount Hermon. I was what I like to call an indifferent student. Mm -hmm. I was, I was, um, uh, learning came easily, easily to me. I was naturally curious, but I was not naturally curious about the sorts of things that, we're going to get you A's in classes. Um, I was interested in the things that I was interested in. And if I didn't particularly like the work that, that was involved in doing well in a particular class, I didn't do it. So I was not a great high school student and, um, and I went to the wrong college and then I, I went to, uh, I, then I, changed I, I fortunately had an older brother who was at St. John's College which is a great books program okay and I started so I had to start all over again I started I started my freshman year in college uh when I was 21 oh really and um uh I so I graduated at, at 24 uh-huh. and um then I and I was in New Mexico, and I moved back east, and I s- fixed bicycles for seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I can't do this forever, because mm-hmm. you start to get a little tendonitis in your elbows, mm-hmm. and you're turning a wrench really hard, and on this shooting pain comes down your arm and shoots through your fingers, and you say, I, yeah, this, uh, I can't do this all the time. So I decided I needed to go to grad school and I went to the history department at UMass which was around the corner from where I worked mm. and I talked to the graduate program director and I was thinking oh, I said what about archives and he said well, we don't really do archives here um, but you should get a history degree anyway mm-hmm. so so I was all set to, to get into this program and I took a course in public history in the, in the spring of uh, I don't know how old was I then. I was mm. I was in my early thirties, and uh, there was one seminar on archives, mm. and I was so taken by it. It, it just suddenly struck me: this is really what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And um, the program director said, "Well, you know, the, all the courses that you're going to have to take are down in Boston," mm-hmm. and and at first Boston seemed like a long way, but all of a sudden. Once I decided that I wanted to be an archivist, Boston seemed like easy. I would just go down there. And so then at, I, I, I did some paraprofessional work at Amherst College mm-hmm. in their archives, and I really liked it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I got a second master's in library science, um, driving out to SUNY Albany and spending a couple of days a week in Albany and coming commuting back here. I was living in the valley, just a little south of here. Mm-hmm. And um, all of a sudden, um, I had this degree, and uh, 
my predecessor in the archives here, um, longtime um, librarian here, and her husband was a longtime English teacher here. Um, and in fact, they're the parents. Um, John Batty, who teaches English here now, mm-hmm. his parents, um, uh, that's who these people were. My, my predecessor was John Batty's mother. Mm. And I, I, met, I met her at a, uh, at a local sort of archivist's convention thing, a tiny little group of people in, down in Springfield. And, and she was being very you know, helpful and being a mentor and saying, she said to me, well, what kind of job do you want? And I said, yours. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple of years later, um, I had my degrees, and and um, this position opened up as a one-year um, uh, uh, sort of replacement position, and then all of a sudden it became permanent. Mm. And I've been here ever since. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful. I, and it's it's the perfect place for me. I mean, for somebody who wants to be an archivist and for somebody who um, likes other people. And actually, you know, the, the, the important things that I do, mm-hmm. some of the most important things that I do are providing information for articles that are being produced by our communications office, by our alumni relations office, and helping classes prepare for their big reunions, their 25th and 50th reunions. They come to me a lot for... You know, what was the school like in 1973? Mm. And so I can provide them with images and with digital copies of their yearbook and all of the things that, that they want to have to have a successful reunion. So Interesting. Anyway. Um, speaking of finding your, your job, how do you... What would you say to someone that is still unsure about what they want to do, how, how can they find their purpose in life? Oh, well, I, I have to say that one of the things that's really, really tough to watch as, as mm-hmm. I was going to say as a grown-up, but that's not, that's not quite what I mean. But it's, it's hard to see the pressure that students at Northfield Mount Hermon seem to put themselves under and I think some of that's the fault of society, and some of that is the fault of students buying into that pressure. And if I have any advice, and this sounds it's going to sound really lame, but don't bow to that pressure. Um, I know people have parents, and they have siblings who are maybe successful, or they see their friends who seem to have it all figured out. you got your friend who wants to go and be an engineer. So they're applying to all these engineering schools, and they know, and they're really good at math and science, and they really love math and science. Mm-hmm. And you think to yourself, oh, I should be an engineer. There's a lot of money in that. Mm-hmm. But um, there isn't necessarily going to be a lot of happiness in that. Unless yeah. it's what you really want to do, so I, I, I think that 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 the most, you know, and it's and it's hard in this day and age because it's so much more expensive to go to college. Mm-hmm. Like when I was, when I was, um, I mean to say when I was your age, <laughs> but when I was your age, um, four years of college cost um, about half of what one year of college costs now. Really. And so that's that's a lot of money mm-hmm. that you're going to be spending, and that's for a private. That's for a private. That, that was me going to a private college. If I'd gone to a public college, it would have been, it'd be more like a, a quarter. Hmm. Of, and so that's that's a lot of money. And and I remember telling, um, um, I, I think I, I think I told my son this, but um, when you go to college, it's like going on a cruise. It's a very expensive cruise, though, because if it's if it's three hundred thousand dollars for four years of college now, which more or less like seventy five thousand dollars a year, that's about that's about right for a private college. Yeah. Um, so imagine spending three hundred thousand dollars, and you're going to go on a cruise, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. If you go on a cruise and you have a bad time, imagine, imagine you go on a cruise and everybody gets salmonella poisoning. And everybody gets really, really sick. Maybe you're going to get your money back. But mm-hmm. most cruises, you know, if you go on the cruise, and it wasn't really quite what you thought, and it wasn't really that great. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to say, you know, I didn't have a really good time on this cruise. Can I have my money back? Mm-hmm. And, 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 a, and, and a college education, I mean, I don't mean to be flippant about it, but a college education is a little like going on a cruise because you're going to see things, you're going to meet people, you're going to do stuff, you're going to learn things, you're going to have experiences. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's going to be, a, and it better be a great experience. You'd better be able, you'd better get your money's worth. So then the question is, what is getting your money's worth out of college? Mm-hmm. And, and I really think that getting your money's worth out of college it's, it's, it's learning things, but it's, it's, it's the friends you meet. Um, it's, it's the work that you put in. Um, it's the fun you have. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying you should go and party. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that that's, because that um, you can party for free. You don't have to go to college to party. Yeah, that's um, true. So, so, um, so I think it's really important that you, that if you go, you really have a vision for what kind of experience you're hoping to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think so often, I mean, one of the, one of the biggest mistakes that I made, um, I hope I don't get in trouble with the college counselors for saying this, but one of the biggest mistakes that I made when I was a student here mm-hmm. was that I was not, I was asked, well, so you're looking for a big college, a small college, uh, urban area, rural. Mm-hmm. Um, no one ever really asked me to think hard about what I wanted. Why? Why mm-hmm. go? Why? Why are you doing this? Why? Why are you even embarking on this trip to begin with? Mm-hmm. And I just I feel like that's if if if. If if everyone would really ask that question mm-hmm. of themselves before they got too deeply involved in the process, and didn't say, "Well, like, like all my friends are going, so I better go," mm-hmm. or "All my friends have got it all figured out, mm-hmm. and I don't want to look like I'm like I like I don't like I'm confused." Mm-hmm. Um, I want to look like I know, like I've got it all going on too. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to apply to these schools and maybe, you know, maybe I'll get into Tufts or maybe I'll get into Bowdoin or Amherst or MIT mm-hmm. or Caltech or Berkeley mm-hmm. or Stanford mm-hmm. or Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, like name the schools. You can make this, you can make this sphere as big as you like. But I think I think if you have some idea about what what's the experience that you want, like if you go um, uh, to UMass Lowell, um, that's going to be a good school, and you're going to meet some people there that you wouldn't meet anywhere else because they're all all those people are only at UMass Lowell, and so you're gonna you're gonna make you're gonna go to college. You're going to make friends. You're going to have certain experiences that you could only have at the place that you went. You know, I think I think I think one of the things that that you might want to ask me. You know, I think that it m- might be on the list of questions. So I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump to this one question that I really want to answer, which is like, do I have any regrets? Mm. And <clears throat> there was a time I really wanted to go to Williams. My father went to Williams. I had other relatives that went to Williams. I wanted to go to Williams. I knew it was a really good school. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go to Williams, and I didn't get in. Mm-hmm. And they should not have taken me. I, you know, I, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to pretend that Williams made a mistake. Mm-hmm. But um, so you could say, well, so do you regret like fooling around in high school so that you couldn't go to Williams? No, I, was, I I'm really happy with the life that I have right now, and if I did anything different, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be sitting across 
the table from you right now having this conversation. Mm. I, I'd be, I'd be, if I'd gone to a different college, I, I can, I can virtually guarantee you that I would not have become an archivist. I, I, I probably would have, I, 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 I very possibly would have gone, decided that I needed to get a PhD in history and mm. I would be an academic somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad that I'm right here. I'm glad that I've met the people that I've met. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that I've got to do the things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And if I have any regrets, this is one regret. Mm-hmm. This is the only regret you're going to get from me. Mm-hmm. Um, in the spring of 1978, mm-hmm. um, the, the, uh, one of America's great poets, who was also a 1937 graduate of Mount Hermon, mm-hmm. a guy who just died... Um, I guess it's almost two years ago now he died, but mm. he was 101, Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Mm-hmm. So Lawrence Ferlinghetti came here mm-hmm. and read a bunch of poetry. Mm-hmm. And I decided that I had better things to do, and I didn't go. <laughs> like half the school was there, like a zillion I mean, there was a, a Grandin used to have seats in it. Um, and so when Grandin, you remember when Grandin was empty, but Grandin used to have the, you know, be full of theater seats and there was a balcony and it seated about, I don't know, 350 people. In Grandin. Yeah. And it was packed. Mm. And the aisles were full. And people were sitting on the floor everywhere. People were hanging from the chandeliers. Well, not quite, but mm-hmm. you got the you got the picture. Mm-hmm. And I didn't go because I, you know, decided that I had better things to do, which would pro- probably was, you know, probably doing nothing, hanging out with friends. Mm. So I I regret that I did that, not see that was the on, that's the only regret you have in your life. Yeah, you know, there's probably some other ones. I could I could probably come up with a few other ones, <laughs> but but really, like in terms of big things, mm-hmm. in terms of big things, no, no. If I had, if I had been, I mean, I, there are times when I think, wow, I, I wish I'd been a better student when I was at Northview. I wish I had taken this place. I mean, I really took this place for granted, you know, and in a way. Mm-hmm. It's easy to see how that happened because I grew up here. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize what a privilege it was to go here. I didn't know, and my father didn't tell me. It would have been nice. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there are times when I think if, if I want to be angry with my father about something, mm-hmm. I, I'd be angry with him that why didn't why didn't he give me more grief about the way I was treating this institution? Mm-hmm. Um, because it was a real privilege to be able to go here. It was it was um, it was a great privilege, and I. I just took it for granted because I was a fact brat. I grew up here. I couldn't imagine going anywhere else. I mm. went here. I thought everybody got to go here. Mm. I really did. Mm. Um, that's that's that was pretty wrong-headed thinking. Um, and so um, there are ways in which I wish I had worked harder and been a better student. But ultimately, um, I probably wouldn't have come back here and gotten to do the kind of work that I've gotten to do and to work with the students I've gotten to work with and gotten to know the people I've gotten to know if I hadn't done exactly what I did. Mm. And so it's awfully hard to regret um, doing some, you know, not working hard. It's, it's, it's hard for me to regret like, oh, why, why, did I, why, why, did I, why did I sit around talking with my friends, mm. listening to records and reading, reading the books I wanted to read instead of doing my homework? Um, so I could have gone to a different college and had my whole life be different. Eh, mm. I'm happy. Yeah. And I wound up at the college I needed to be at, and I met the people who I'm really glad that are lifelong friends. Um, I don't want to change anything. Mm. Interesting. So, I mean, we we only have perhaps two minutes left, so um, sort of last question. What do you think the meaning of life is? The meaning of life? Mm. Wow. <laughs> um, I think I saw that question and I kind of uh, was taken aback by it. <laughs> um, well, I do... Uh, um, it's complicated. I do think that we're... Um, I'm not sure that we're put here um, by by a creator to do a, a particular thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, for me... Um, I'm 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 here. I'm I'm at Northfield Mount Hermon in part because um, 
I feel like I owe something to this institution. Um, and I think that we, I think that, that, that if there's a meaning to life, it's, it's understanding what we owe to the people who are around us. Um, mm. What we owe to the institutions, what we owe to our friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like th- this institution nurtured me when I was a kid mm-hmm. in, in tremendously important. I mean, it was a tremendously wonderful place to, be, to grow up. Mm-hmm. It was a great place to be five years old here. It was a great place. To, it was great to be seven and 10 and 12 and be, mm-hmm. and, and have, there were, um, there were nine of us. And actually at one point there were as many as 10 of us, but they were, who were all in the same grade, mm-hmm. who were all growing up on this campus and running around in the summers, running around like all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and I feel like I owe the institution something for that, mm-hmm. for that childhood that I had, for, mm-hmm. that, um, for that experience that I had growing up, for the education that I didn't entirely appreciate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've forgiven myself for being a teenager and doing stupid things. Mm-hmm. But um, so I'm not here to pay penance, you know, as a punishment. But I do think that, I mean... To really to answer that question about me, the meaning of life, I I think it's um, I think it does um, reflect on. Well, I think it's a I think it's a mark of our humanity that we that we give back um, and that we care about the institutions that took care of us at important parts of our life. So you think the meaning of life is to sort of live out your life and find find out what your uniquely what your unique path is and give back to the next generation yeah. that's coming up. I think it's I mean it's and ultimately being an archivist it's really about I mean yeah. it's about service it's about mm-hmm. it's about the future it's not it's it's about it's about um helping present generations. Yeah. But it's also about making sure that things are in the kind of shape that the next people can have what we all had. So, yeah. So using, organizing the past so, to set up the future. Some yeah. Sense. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, exactly. If there's one last sentence or perhaps a few sentence advice for listeners, what would you say? Advice? Yeah. Um, uh, do do your best to. Um, I mean, this is what happens. This is Pierre and War and Peace. Mm-hmm. M- you know, make sure it's your life that you're living. Mm-hmm. Don't live somebody else's life. Mm-hmm. Live your life. Um, uh, live. Li- um, and that doesn't mean, you know, be a hedonist and just go out and have fun. But it means to make sure that you're that you're doing the things that. Uh, that the happinesses that you're experiencing are your happinesses mm-hmm. and not someone else's. Mm. And you have to do a lot of searching to find your own. Yeah, that's... that's um, uh, I, I've, I read a lot of Plato mm-hmm. uh, when I'm reading um, uh, nonfiction. And, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the core of Socratic thought is gnothi mm-hmm. seutone, which means know thyself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that um, that's not an easy thing mm-hmm. uh, always. Mm-hmm. But it's, it really is um, listening. It's, it's about listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about not um, getting caught up in the things that, that society thinks are important or that your friends think are important, mm-hmm. or even, you know, dare I say that your parents think are important. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I, I think, I think, um, I think your parents do have things to say and it's, and it's worth listening. You want to listen to your friends and you want to listen to your college counselor and you want to listen to your advisor and listen to your parents. Um, mm-hmm. And if you disagree with them, uh, you want to tell them. You want to be able, and you want to be able to articulate 
what your differences are. Mm-hmm. That's the most important. It's not about. It's not just about saying no. It's not about being contrary. It's about being able to articulate w- what it is that you actually feel. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, first, first of all, thank you so much for um, for all the wisdom and all the stories that you shared today. It was very inspirational and eye opening. Really appreciate it. Um, you definitely sh- changed how I perceive. Um, well, I definitely. First of all, I I didn't know much about archivism, and um, that this this was really um, eye opening. And second of all, to hear all the wisdom that you shared, life stories, it, it really helped me. And I was actually just thinking about how I could apply what you shared today to to help me to know more about myself because I feel like that's a that's an endless process in some sense. Oh, uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, and it's perhaps the hardest question to answer is, who, who are you? Right. Yeah. Well, right, that's that big Hume one question, like, who, who am I? But, mm. but it's really, um, but know thyself, I think, is a slightly different question than mm. who am I. Mm. It's close, mm-hmm. but it's a little different. Mm. We could we could probably spend another hour <laughs> figuring that out, yeah. but I'm really grateful um, to to um, to be to be asked um, into uh, into the studio with you, Shannon. It's it's really it's um it's great to to share some time with you and to. Um, Did you have a good time here today? Oh yeah, I had a wonderful time. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, and uh, for listeners, thank you all so much for joining us today, and I will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. <laughs>